Palm Sunday, the parade route cried out, Hosanna, save now, Hosanna in the highest. I want to look at the true story of Palm Sunday through the eyeglasses of expectations. We all have expectations. The crowd that day had expectations. The Lord Jesus Christ had expectations that first Palm Sunday. And the Lord Jesus Christ, from the right hand of God, the Father in heaven, continues to have expectations. Really, when you think about Palm Sunday and the scriptural record of it, it was a day, a Sunday, filled with paradoxes, things that seemingly don't go together. A king rode a donkey. The crowd cried for revolution when redemption was the real need. A deliverer who had no army and had no weapons. Paradoxes. A wildly joyful crowd celebrated a stone serious savior. A blind nation believed that it could see what was best for it, but missed the point. Paradoxes. A road believed to lead to conquest actually led to crucifixion. Crazed spectators on the parade route, but a crying savior. In verse 41 of Luke 19, it says that when he, Jesus, approached, he saw the city and wept over it. Yes, there was a crazed crowd, but a crying Savior. By the way, the New Testament only gives us three instances of when our Lord cried. He cried at Lazarus' tomb. In this passage, he cried at Jerusalem's pending demise. And third, he cried in Gethsemane, the garden, before the cross. I'm going to read Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 44, and I invite you to turn there in your Bibles as I read. Luke 19, 28 through 44, hear the word of God. And after he had said these things, he was going on ahead, ascending to Jerusalem, And it came about that when he approached Bethphage and Bethany, near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, go into the village opposite you, in which, as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has yet ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Thus you shall speak. The Lord has need of it. And those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and they threw their garments on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he was going, they were spreading their garments in the road And as he was now approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in earth and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the multitude said to him, teacher, Rebuke your disciples. And he answered and said, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. 
And when he approached, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes, for the days shall come upon you when your enemies will throw up a bank before you and surround you and hem you in on every side and will level you to the ground and your children within you and they will not leave in one in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation you know it's a sad thing to be at the beach near sunset, to be looking for those precious shells that you really would like to have in your collection. It's a precious disappointment if you look only for shells that evening at the beach and you miss the finest sunset of the year. That would be a shame. It was equally or even more so sad that the Jews of this day of Palm Sunday had their Messiah in full view, it was a shame that they only saw him as being a worker of miracles and not also to be the fulfillment of all the Old Testament law and the Old Testament prophecies and in fact, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In verse 37, a window into the crowd's mentality is given us. And as he, Jesus, was now approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice, watch it, for all the miracles which they had seen. This Palm Sunday 2019, we're going to see Luke's account, Dr. Luke's inspired account and report of what happened the first Palm Sunday, as I've said, through the eyeglasses of expectations. Expectations, we all have them. Jesus had them. And at the right hand of the Father, the glorified Christ still has expectations. Of course, Palm Sunday was the Sunday before the Friday when the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified. His time was ticking down, and he knew it. And Jesus, on that occasion, was heading into the city of Jerusalem. I've been there with Beth, and the stone road that goes down the descent into the Kidron Valley with the world's largest Jewish cemetery on the left. Jesus Christ, as he rode on the donkey and the parade unfolded, He couldn't help but have looked to his left and seen the largest Jewish cemetery in the world and thought about his death. The foal of a donkey, I'm told, between the two front shoulder blades facing anyone riding such a beast is a natural bristle of darker hair in the shape of a cross. And so if the cemetery on the left didn't remind Jesus of his pending crucifixion, if he looked down to see the beast he was riding upon, he would have seen in the hair of that colt across. Jesus' time was ticking down, and he knew it. He was riding into the city of Jerusalem, 
and he directed his two disciples to walk to the east, just about one half of a mile, to the village of Bethphage. And there Jesus told the men that they would find a colt that he wanted. The Gospel of Matthew clarifies that the animal was a young donkey. (laughs) You know, to this day, royalty doesn't settle for used things. (laughs) The Queen of England's carriages in China were not purchased good as new from eBay. Her Majesty the Queen always gets brand new with tags. And it was the same for kings of Jesus' time. They didn't use previously used things. And here in this report, King of Kings Jesus selected a never-has-been-ridden-upon donkey. Just seven days later, after the cross, Jesus' precious body was laid in a never-before-used tomb. Royalty demands what is new and gets what is new. Well, on that particular Palm Sunday something was proven. A very important thing was proven. It was proven that the Lord Jesus Christ was so much more than an ordinary king. The first Palm Sunday proved that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the God king. God, and in his humanity, king. How was that proven on the first Palm Sunday? Well, at least three ways. Number one, without hesitation, the two disciples obeyed Jesus' bold command to find and then to take somebody else's donkey because he's the God king. Second, without permission, Jesus confiscated someone else's donkey because Jesus is the God king. Third, without objection, the owners let their donkey go to Jesus Because Jesus is the God king. King, that's your Jesus. Lord, that's your Jesus. God, that's your Jesus. In this particular sermon, we're going to see 10 expectations, all of which were in play on the first Palm Sunday. 10 expectations. We'll go through these quickly. Expectation number one was Jesus' expectation that his disciples saw him as Lord. Verse 31, Jesus' words. And if anyone asks you why you are untying it, that is the colt, thus shall you say, thus shall you speak, the Lord has need of it. Those two men never would have dared to go to Bethphage to get a donkey that didn't belong to Jesus except they knew. He is Lord. Do you? The second expectation that I see in the text is the disciples' expectation that it was obvious that Jesus Christ is Lord even to those who weren't following him. Verse 34. And they, the two disciples, said to the owner of the donkeys, the Lord has need of it. The disciples that went to Bethphage had the expectation that it was obvious as a plain as a nose on your face that Jesus Christ is the Lord. 
and that when they would say the Lord has need of the donkey, they would acquiesce, they would agree. And they did. The third expectation I see in the text is the crowd's expectation that Jesus had done miracles and that he still would do miracles. You see it there with me in verse 37? And as he was now approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice, watch, for all the miracles which they had seen. They had seen the miracles, many in that Palm Sunday crowd. They had seen them, caused them to praise Jesus as he rode by on the donkey. The crowd had that expectation that Jesus had done miracles and he was still able to do new miracles. The fourth expectation from the crowd, the crowd's expectation was that Jesus, coming as king of Israel, would provide peace. Verse 38. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace, there it is, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Of course, the expectation that the Jewish persons had that Jesus would bring peace was a right expectation. Jesus Christ will bring peace, but not the timing was incorrect. He wasn't going to bring peace just before the cross when the Palm Sunday event took place. Jesus was not yet going to bring peace. In fact, the scriptures tell us that the time when Jesus Christ will bring peace is after crucifixion, after resurrection, after ascension, after the seven years of tribulation on earth, at the second coming event to set up his earthly rule and reign for a thousand years, we call it the millennial kingdom, that's when Jesus Christ will bring peace, the Prince of Peace. So the crowd had the right expectation that Messiah would bring peace, they just had the timing off. The fifth expectation, <laughs> the Pharisees' expectation that Jesus would refuse worship. The Pharisees in that crowd, silent protesters until they speak out. And as Jesus Christ is praised and called upon to save Israel and recognized to be the Messiah, and some of the Pharisees in the multitude said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples, refuse worship. We expect that you, an uneducated Galilean, that we think is illegitimately born, deserves no worship. Refuse the worship. <laughs> that brought us to Jesus' expectation in light of the Pharisees' expectation, and that was that he must be worshiped. Jesus Christ expected back then that he must be worshiped, and the Lord Jesus Christ expects this morning that he must be worshiped. Verse 40, and he answered and said, I tell you, if these, that is on the parade route, Jewish people on the parade route, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. And there were plenty of stones on that road when I visited it. He could point to any number of stones on that road. Jesus said, if the Jewish nation, recognizing him to be Messiah, failed to worship him as God, then the stones would worship him as God. 
Jesus Christ expects us to worship him. Not when it's convenient. Not when it's risk-free. Not when it's no cost. Not just when we're assembled as a body of believers, but personally in our times in God's word to worship him. He expects it. Jesus had the expectation and still does that he must be worshiped. The seventh of 10 expectations also comes from our Lord. Jesus expected that the Jews would reject him. Jesus labored under no misunderstanding or naivete. He knew that the majority of the Jews would reject him. 41. And when he approached, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. Jesus knew what he taught in his Sermon on the Mount, that broad is the way that leads to destruction and narrow is the way that leads to righteousness and forgiveness. And so it is today. Broad is the way that leads to hell, but narrow is the way that leads to heaven. And that road and that gate is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus had the expectation riding on the donkey that the majority of the Jews would reject him, which led to the next expectation Jesus had was that that particular national rejection of the Jews of him would result in military invasion and and great loss of life. 43 and 44, please. Jesus speaking. For the days shall come upon you when your enemies will throw up a bank before you and surround you and hem you in on every side and will level you to the ground and your children within you and they will not leave you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Jesus expected, which made him cry, Jesus expected that the rejection of the nation of him as their Messiah and Savior from sin would bring about a huge military invasion by Rome and that when Rome meant to destroy Jerusalem, it would in A.D. 70 and the buildings would be level as rubble and the temple in particular would be no stone left upon any other stone, no place for Jews left focally to worship because they didn't recognize the day of their visitation. The ninth expectation, again, from our Lord, Jesus expected that the crowd would put together in their understandings, in their ponderings, would put together the 500-year-old prophecy of Zechariah, the prophecy that's recorded in our Old Testament Bibles in Zechariah 9, verse 9. That's easy to remember. Zechariah 9, verse 9, he predicted 500 years 
before the first Palm Sunday Zechariah did. And this is what he predicted as the Holy Spirit moved him along in Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus had the expectation that some Jewish people who knew their Old Testament scriptures, who had read the prophet Zechariah, would put it together when he rode on a a donkey, the foal of a donkey, that they would put it together that this is our king. This is our deliverer. And that they would understand the deliverance that was riding upon a donkey from God to them was not a deliverance from Rome. By the way, political deliverance is never as important as spiritual deliverance. There is no political party in the Bahamas that can deliver Bahamians most from what we most face, which is sin. There is no party in the United States or any other country of the world that by their political scheming and maneuvering and legislating can take away sin in a human heart. But Jesus expected that some in that Jewish crowd would know Zechariah well enough and know the prophecy well enough that when they saw him riding into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey, the colt of a donkey, they'd say, remember, Zechariah wrote about this. Isn't that something? We're here to see this. The presentation of Messiah. Jesus expected that. Jesus also expects that we will take current events And as we read current events, that we will see how the scriptures predict some of these events. You may like or not like Donald Trump as president, but him moving the Jewish embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem has huge prophetic significance. You may see these prosperity preachers who do not have an accurate gospel that says that Jesus wants to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. By the way, Jesus was homeless. He was wise. He was wealthy in the things of God, but he was homeless. When the gospel of Jesus Christ is departed from, not just with that error, there are many other errors that you know, but when we depart from the pure powerful gospel that Christ has died for sins and arisen from the dead, when the church of Jesus Christ departs from that, we are in the last days. That the pastoral epistles, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus refer to. Jesus expected the Jews in the crowd to connect the current events with the prophecy, and Jesus Christ expects the body and bride of Christ to listen and to watch to the news events of today and to see that today's news predicted in the scriptures in, by way of prophecies. The tenth and the last expectation I want to show you in this account of Luke is Jesus' expectation that the crowd would see the big difference between political salvation and spiritual salvation. I said before that no political party, no politician can 
cleanse the human heart, give meaning to the human life, and a confidence about what happens after dying. No politician can afford you of that, and no political party, no legislated law, nobody can deliver on that except the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus expected that first Jewish crowd that they could see and understand the difference between political salvation and spiritual salvation, but they had a problem. Matthew's account of the Palm Sunday event, Matthew 21, verses 9 to 11. And the crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus expected that the eyewitnesses of the triumphal entry would differentiate between political salvation and deliverance and spiritual salvation and deliverance. Hosanna, as you probably have been taught, is a Hebrew word which means save now. Save now. And that day, that crowd demanded salvation, but it wasn't salvation from sin. They weren't asking for forgiveness of their sins. They weren't demonstrating repentance for the sins. No, that day, that crowd called for salvation from Rome. The military oppressor that said one of her soldiers could greet any Jew at any time and ask the Jew to carry his backpack, his heavy military backpack, for one mile in any direction, the soldier said. The oppression of Rome that farmed out the collection of taxes like some kind of a franchise of a McDonald's. And the tax collectors knew what Rome wanted, but they collected beyond that from the Jews. And whatever they collected beyond what Rome wanted, the tax collector got to keep, Zacchaeus. That day, that crowd called for salvation from Rome. They wanted freedom. Nothing wrong with wanting freedom, except if it's at the expense of forgiveness. They want a revolution. Simon the Zealot, one of Jesus' closest followers, he wanted revolution as well, and he was a part of a party, the Zealots, that wanted to do that by force, with armed weapons. By the way, what a curious collection of disciples Jesus assembled, (laughs) when you think about it. And so, in verse 11, something significant. And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And when that Palm Sunday parade was over, and when Jews filtered back to their businesses and to their homes and tried to figure out what just happened, how do we make sense of the rabbi riding a donkey into the Kidron Valley and into Jerusalem? What's going on? Well, those questions being asked, the consensus opinion of what was going on, apparently, was that Jesus was the prophet. 
the prophet. And of course, in some regard, that was a good assessment because Jesus is the prophet. He's the prophet, priest, and king. But they left off the priest and they left off the king and they just concluded he was the prophet. But Jesus Christ was in fact the prophet with a capital P prophet. And he was the capital P prophet of all the other Old Testament prophets with lowercase p. And in fact, Jesus Christ was and is the uppercase capital P prophet of whom all of the other lowercase p prophets prophesied. And as such, Jesus was God, is God, the Messiah. Now, there's an argument to be made that some people in that Palm Sunday crowd knew that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. They got it because In verse 9 of Matthew 21, the crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, watch it, to the son of David. That was one of the most common Old Testament designations for Messiah, the son of David. So some people hollered out Hosanna, also hollered out to the son of David. They knew who he was. And that being said, for some in that crowd, it wasn't a case of mistaken identity, but rather it was a case of mistaken remedy. And when it comes to something as serious as heaven or hell, you have to correctly land both on the identity of the one who can save you and correctly land on the remedy which you most need from that person. (laughs) If I suffered a heart attack, it does me no good if you rush me to an accountant. And if I suffer a heart attack and get in the care of a heart doctor, then it also does me no good to insist that the doctor treat my sinus infection. But that first Palm Sunday, it was as if the majority in the Jewish crowd had heart failure, but they asked the doctor to treat sleep apnea. When we have heart disease, we need a heart doctor. And when we go to a heart doctor, we need to let him do heart surgery on us. Of course, the scriptures tell us our problem, whether we're rich or poor, educated or uneducated, young or old. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. That means that we all need a savior. And there's only one savior provided. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the only Savior heaven will ever provide. It says in Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. There's only one heart surgeon, Jesus. And spiritual heart disease is way worse than physical heart disease because actually... When we do not know Jesus as Savior, we have a heart that is dead. It's stopped spiritually. And therefore, we need a heart surgeon. That's the Savior. In fact, we need a heart transplant. We need a new heart, a regeneration. That's salvation. And so, if your heart is dead, it's stopped. 
spiritually. If your heart needs a surgeon, the only one given is the Savior. And if your old heart needs to be replaced with a living heart, responsive to God, then you need salvation. The way you come to Christ for salvation is you recognize that you've sinned and fallen short, and that you can't save yourself. Religion won't do it. Being a good person won't do it. Because how would you know when you've done enough good and been, enough, been religious enough? You would never know. When you want to be saved, you need to acknowledge your own sin and Jesus Christ's sacrifice, that he died not to show you how to die, but that he died in your place instead of you. He died the, the death that we deserve to give us the life we could never have except through his grace. Transfer your trust from religion, self-righteousness, church membership, baptism, philanthropic good deeds. Those are all fine, but they won't make you right with God. Those things come after God has made you right through his son as you trust his son and only his son. And then by grace, you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it, salvation, is the gift of God, not of works so that no one would boast. No one's going to be in heaven boasting how they got there. Nobody. Heaven is God's home and he sets the parameters as to how you get in. And he says, nobody's getting in by their righteous efforts. Nobody. Because there'll be no boasting in heaven. How will you and I get to heaven who know Christ? By the grace of God. Make that your decision if you've never trusted Jesus to be your Savior. And so everybody has expectations, including our Savior, he does. And his expectations are the most important expectations of all. And what the Lord Jesus Christ expected at the time of the first Palm Sunday, he continues to expect this morning. What is that? That his followers would see him as Lord. Not as an add-on to their lives, if it's convenient. But that his followers would see him as master, owner, Lord. Jesus also expects that he be worshipped. That's what he expects. He expects that the majority of Jews and the majority of Gentiles will refuse him. So don't be discouraged when you share your faith and someone rejects Jesus, even in an angry matter. Keep sharing your faith. Jesus expects that the rejection of him will result in great loss. It will. It's a very naive and hollow and foundless statement when somebody dies without Jesus as Savior and someone says, may she rest in peace. The rejection of Christ will result in great loss. Jesus expects that believers will put together biblical prophecy and current events. And Jesus expects that the most important kind of salvation is salvation from sin. We pray. Lord Jesus, how grateful we are that you are God, that you are the heart surgeon who can take out a heart of stone and give us a new heart and life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that You've made it clear in this account what you expect. 
Help us to respond to those expectations in faith, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and for the glory of God and never ourselves. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.